Is your money working as hard as it could be for your future? A decade ago, Robinhood changed the investment landscape when they pioneered commission-free stock trading. Today, they continue to offer innovative products to help users build a better financial future, like IRAs, ETFs, options for qualified traders, and much more. Take control of your financial future with Robinhood. Download the app or visit Robinhood.com to learn more. That's Robinhood.com. Disclosures. Investing involves risk. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIP. PC is a registered broker dealer. Good morning, Brew Daily Show. I'm Neil Fryman. And my New York driver's license now reads not Toby. Make it official. Uh, today on the pod, we're going to talk about one of the biggest startup flameouts of all time and how a single tweet propelled a book no one had heard of to the top 10 bestseller list on Amazon. Very excited for today's show. We're also going to talk about a fast rising new sport, and it's not pickleball and AI girlfriend. I don't think I need to say anything more than that. Neil, let's ride. Kyle, it is uh, graduation season for college students. Very excited. Seeing a lot of uh, robed individuals walking around town, taking pictures, looking all happy. Yes, commencement speaker season is here. Neil, when you graduated college, which was only one year ago, I heard, uh, who was your commencement speaker? So I graduated 10 years ago from the University of Maryland, which is crazy to think about, 2013. My commencement speaker was uh, none other than a Baltimore legend, Cal Ripken Jr. That's actually okay. Iconic. It sounds cool. Yeah. Everyone at Maryland was obsessed, obviously, right. and super hyped. He got up to the podium and said the most generic things possible. Everyone was all hungover and didn't <laughs> care. So it was kind of... Uh, a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the classic commencement speech is like hangover plus platitudes equals commencement speech. I graduated 2015 from the University of Minnesota, so kind of like Maryland, but a little better, you know? And mine commencement speaker was Olaf from Frozen. Like, what? The voice actor. Yeah. Josh Gad? Uh, Maybe Josh Gad. Yeah. Someone's going to have to fact check me fact check this for me because it was someone like that wasn't the first star of Frozen they were like is he like a curly haired dude I'm not sure yeah you don't again I don't remember much I thought you meant like an AI avatar of Olaf (laughs) um anyway that sounds fun U of M represent yes who has the better M our RM sucks, so you probably won. Yeah, we have a great M. All right, let's get to the news uh we're gonna start with an industry that's very close to home digital media Things are continuing to fall apart over there. Uh, The online news company Vice filed for bankruptcy this morning and agreed to sell itself to a group of creditors for about $225 million. This will allow it to keep operating and producing content so it's not completely disappearing. But along with BuzzFeed, which just shut down BuzzFeed News a few weeks ago, there's definitely been this pattern of hotshot digital media companies that were supposed to revolutionize the way people consume news in the 2010s. Just absolutely collapsing. Yeah, I mean, it, Vice just raised $135 million in 2021. And at one point, they boasted a valuation of $5.7 billion. And now, like you said, they're That's crazy. basically selling for, for pennies Peanuts. on the dollars. So they definitely peaked. Uh, but they have created some incredible content. For sure. And like, I remember getting into Vice because they were the first company I remember being like, we're going to send journalists into active like war zones or like mm-hmm. protests. And they made some really, really good content, some really, really good documentaries. So it's kind of sad to see them go this way. It is sad. It's just uh, tough business out there. They raised $1.3 billion in, uh, in total in venture capital. This was seen as like the next big media company. I mean, you had Disney buying a stake. You had mm-hmm. 
Fox, like Rupert Murdoch, looked at Vice and said, I think this is the future of news. There was a private equity giant, TPG, that uh, plugged it with $450 million. Um, and Disney was thinking about acquiring it, actually, for $3.5 billion. The founder turned it down. Uh, that was in 2016. That's and tough. that doesn't look good. That's very similar to what happened with BuzzFeed. Disney approached BuzzFeed and the CEO there, Jonah Peretti, turned it down. And now there's a lot of kind of, I told you so, you should have taken the deal. Right. Look what happened when these, all these companies stake their claim on social media uh, and Facebook and Twitter and all of the other you know, platforms being able to circulate and distribute their content. Yep. When any little algorithm tweak to devalue news uh, kind of killed their businesses and vice especially. I mean, just spent so much money on video content. Yep. Like you were talking about these very intense documentaries and journalists all around the world. This is super expensive. They yep. found it very hard, very hard to turn a profit. And when you take in that much venture capital, you have to uh, have these very ambitious sales targets to hit. Mm -hmm. And that is always that sometimes can change your incentives um, and lead to utter collapse like what we just had. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lesson in here that we can all learn from, and that is if someone offers you $3.5 billion, <laughs> just say yes and go retire. But in, in all you know, seriousness, I do think that there's a lesson for media companies, and that is focus, that mm. you can kind of expand your offering, your portfolio of offerings so wide that it's really hard to make them all monetizable. And I think not just great content, but you also need a business model that supports that great right. content, whether it's through ads or subscriptions. And I think they just honestly overexpanded. There mm. is an incredible How I Built This episode, yeah. I want to say, with one of their co-founders, Sarush Alvi. Uh, Guy Raz interviews uh, him, and it talks about Vice's origin as a Montreal alternative yeah. magazine. 1994, so. and it maintained that edginess, yes. that youth culture, up to a point where maybe they expanded and kind of lost that particular brand a little bit, and uh, advertisers started fleeing. Yeah. Um, but digital media companies were, are still popping up. There is one that is rising from the ashes today called The Messenger. It is launching with five, uh, $50 million in venture capital. It's, it has 175 journalists around the world. That is huge. And there's plan it started by the guy who started The Hill, That's which right. is the, uh, you know, the DC publication. Um, and within a year, he says he plans to have around 550 journalists, which is the same amount as the Los Angeles Times. So Digital media companies going to digital media. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious on how they keep getting investors because I don't think that anyone that's raised a substantial amount of venture yeah. capital has ever given a return back to the investors. But we'll see how Messenger does. All right, moving on. Uh, Kyle, we spend the vast majority of our time on this podcast talking about U.S.-based news. That's right. Let's expand scope. Let's expand. In the next three minutes, let's just grab our passports and those weird plug-in outlets that don't comport right. with the My U.S. Right, that says not Toby. Let's do it. And do a quick tour of uh, some major headlines around the world. There's some huge ones recently. Start with uh, the Turkey elections. That was the biggest story this weekend around the world. Uh, neither the incumbent President Recep Tayyip Erdogan nor his challenger got 50% of the vote needed to win, so they're going to head to a runoff on May 28th. This election is being called the most consequential in a generation yep. for Turkey and the rest of the world because Erdogan has been doing his best authoritarian impression lately, throwing journalists in jail, aligning Turkey away from the West and more towards Russia. But the top issue of this election was the economy, specifically the botched response to this that very deadly earthquake that happened earlier earlier this year, and also inflation and the surging cost of living. Inflation was ripping above eighty percent last year in Turkey, and now it's it's still 
high at only about half that. Um, but the, the weirdest thing is that how Erdogan has tackled inflation through very unorthodox economic policy. So remember what happened here during inflation is when, when there was very high inflation, the Fed raised interest rates yep. because that is seen as slowing down the economy. People stop buying stuff and inflation comes down. Right. Erdogan, for some very for some reason that no one can really explain, he argued that rates should be left lower to battle inflation. So he mm. kind of took over the central bank's independence and did this very curious uh, economic policy that I don't think has worked out for him. Um, but Turkey is a, a really big uh, player in the world, $900 billion in GDP, top yep. 10 emerging market. So everyone kind of has their, and, they, and they're, you know, Turkey for centuries has been this go between between the east and west with all these trade routes. So everyone's watching what's going to happen um, in Turkey May 28th. Yes, I, I really liked Turkey's recent rebrand as well. The spelling, I think this is how people in Turkey had always spelled it. But we, the State Department actually announced we're going to spell it T-U-R-K-I-Y-E. Yeah, like we, Turkey, yeah. Yeah, we love a good rebrand. Uh, we, we Morning Brews policies just call it Turkey. <laughs> um, let's move on to our second international headline. Did you catch Eurovision this weekend? I, I didn't, unfortunately. And I'm now realizing I missed yeah. out on the Seems greatest like party. event of all time. So it's extreme. It's Europe's extremely over-the-top music competition. Countries compete against one another in this Olympic-style singing Olympics, uh, I guess you could call it. Sweden won this year thanks to Laureen's performance of the power ballad Tattoo. And uh, if you didn't catch the performance, you can watch it on YouTube. It's all very extra and campy like uh, Eurovision is known to do. But people love it. I mean, you just have to look at the TV viewership numbers. More than 160 million people tuned in to watch this uh, this competition. For comparison, about 100 million watched the Super Bowl in the U.S. Yeah. And then Sweden is obsessed with Eurovision. Check this give, out. Give me some Swedish facts. When it held its national competition to decide who would compete on behalf of Sweden at Eurovision, uh, 3.5 million people watched that. And now think about this. There are 10.5 million people watch, living in the entire country. Wow. So you have a little more than a third of everyone tuning into this music yeah. singing competition. The other two thirds were at Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, so next year it heads to Sweden uh, because they won and it'll be on the 50th anniversary of the most iconic uh, Eurovision performance of all time, which was ABBA yes. singing Waterloo. And that and Eurovision has a way of propelling uh, unknown stars to fame like ABBA and then Celine Dion we were talking about who competed on behalf of Switzerland. Yeah, and if, if like the Olympic Games are like big overinvested media companies, Eurovision is like the small scrappy startup bootstrapped. They spent $13 million last year's Eurovision Song Contest. It brought $90 million in tourist revenue. So yeah. it's actually quite profitable for cities. Neil, let's move on to uh, a story that the Wall Street Journal just covered, did a big expose on the unfortunate murder of Bob Lee. Bob was a Cash App co-founder. He was a CTO at Square. He actually wrote code for Android mm. and was an investor in companies like SpaceX and Figma. So a, a really big figure in the tech industry. This killing, unfortunately, kind of took the internet by storm a few weeks ago. It became a place to really project almost yes. your own thoughts onto San Francisco and on the crime and drug policies in the city. Many people started saying this was just a random encounter driven by increased crime in San Francisco. But what actually happened is uh, a little more connected than that. It's been about a month. I really encourage people to go read this article. But it was actually pretty much a second degree connection who had uh, known Bob um, and some interesting details in the article about the lifestyle and maybe yeah. the risk of the lifestyle that that um, 
some people in those circles are living. What was your takeaway from this? Yeah, I mean, it seemed like San Francisco still has this underground culture of sex and drugs, but uh, instead of it being the hippies in the 60s and 70s, just like everything else in San Francisco, it's been gentrified, quote unquote, right. taken over by the tech industry. So it's called, they literally call it the lifestyle and you go party all night, you do a lot of drugs. Um, and it seemed like Lee was doing that partying uh, with a bunch of other people at the time of his of his killing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, he uh, one of the things I really liked about the article is it said he kept a list of 20 close friends. On oh, phone yeah. To remind him to check in on them regularly just to see how we're doing. And I think it's easy when these articles to come out to make it about crime or, or drugs. But, uh, you know, also like it is about someone's life. And I think this in reading the article, it seemed like he was just a really genuine like good person had yeah. a big heart. And so obviously rest in peace to Bob and I hope all his loved ones are doing okay. Yeah, and uh, we will take a quick break and hit our next stories after this. So now let's talk about the story that I mentioned at the top of the show and that is AI Girlfriend. Okay. So Karen AI is an AI girlfriend launched by Snapchat star Karen Marjorie. She has 1.8 million followers on the platform. And she worked with deep fake startup Forever Voices, where she spent thousands of hours training her AI chatbot to kind of talk and act like her. Then she offered up this chatbot on Telegram to her fans. Since then, Neil, yeah. more than 1,000 people have paid a dollar a minute to chat with her. She's made about 72K in a week. And she said she was inspired to do this to, quote, cure loneliness. Yes. So, Good intentions, but also go get your bag. I, I do think this is a little concerning, though. When I read the story, it felt like this is another way that celebrity is now going to get scaled, right? It, it's sure. even a more parasocial relationship. You used to be able to act like a celebrity. You could try to look like a celebrity. You could try to dine like a celebrity. But now you're actually going to be able to talk to a celebrity. And I do think this is the new frontier of parasocial relationship. I mean, there are, are only like four Kardashians now and they <laughs> take over. Imagine if there were an infinite amount of them. Exactly. Uh, and, and big players have really entered this space. Uh, Inflection AI founded by the DeepMind co-founder and then Reid Hoffman of LinkedIn yeah. fame and PayPal fame has raised $225 million to create one of the world's largest language models. Brian Chesky even, I just listened to an interview with him saying how they want to make personalized yeah. travel based upon your preferences and really, again, this concept of tuning a model, training a model for personalized interaction. Um, yeah, yeah this Forever Voices guy was like, you are going to have a uh, AI buddy in your pocket in the next five years. Sometimes it may take the the frame of this, you know, flirty <laughs> girlfriend. Uh, it may just be like a travel assistant, but like you will have this personal relationship with an AI. Definitely reminds me of. That movie, Her, yes, which which seems more prescient every so ahead of every time. day. I think it's because we had Siri then, and we were like, okay, Siri kind of sucks, <laughs> or Alexa, like these are not good AIs. Like they don't converse with you; they're not conversational. Yeah. And then now that GPT four has come along, uh, it, much better at understanding human speech and right. interacting with you. But like this, this sex part of AI is going to become massive. I mean, there's yeah. already million, like hundreds of. Uh, AI sex bots that you can talk to online that I have not, <laughs> I have not tried, uh, but I may try for reporting. Yes, yes. Um, but if you're, if you're still using Siri as your AI girlfriend, it is time to <laughs> upgrade. But Karen AI said it actually. This is there's a huge risk to like she basically cloned herself. Yeah. Right? 
but you can't control AI that well. We've seen that they can go off the rails. And she said it went rogue a little bit um, and started sending users ex sexually explicit messages. And she's like, well, I need to figure this out because this is my reputation at stake. This is like Karen AI. Like my name is Karen. Yes. So um, there's a huge risk to replicating yourself. Right. Yeah. Huge downside risk for, for creators. Also, the U.S. Surgeon General just did this big report on loneliness right. as a serious mental health issue in America. And, and while some of these companies say this is what they're focused on solving, I'm not sure I really buy that. I think they're trying to make lots of money, obviously. And I do worry that just the ease of like maybe a, a relationship with AI is going to take us away from forming long-term relationships with real people, which I think are kind of fundamental to a happy life. Neil, how long until we get an AI version of you that we can just like send an article to and it puts it in the morning brew tone? <laughs> that'd be nice. That'd be, that sounds uh, kind of nice. A lot less work for me. Um, but we hope Karen uh, gets her bag. She's said she's expecting $5 million in revenue a month from, Unreal. from this chatbot. Let's move on to our winners of the weekend where both uh, me and not Toby are going to uh, pick who won the weekend. Mine is a Twitter user by the name of Bigalus Diggalus Wolfwood. And he has established himself as the kingmaker of the book world. Whatever he touches turns to gold. And so here's the story. Last Sunday, uh, Mr. Dickless, who is just a 22-year-old anime fan, commanded his followers to read this book. He just wrote, this is how you lose the, uh, it, the book is called This is How You Lose the Time War. Came out in 2019. No one had really heard of it or remembered it. He just tweeted, read this. Do not look up anything about it. Do it right now. I'm very extremely serious. And so people took him very seriously, scrambled to buy the book. It's since shot up to the top 10 of the Amazon bestseller list and absolutely flabbergasted the book's co-authors who were like, what is happening? And then they realized what is happening. And then they were like, what is happening? <laughs> so it just kind of shows the power of book talk, which is happening on TikTok. And uh, this, this obviously happened on Twitter, but the power of a book to go viral and uh, one an anime influencer can just say one tweet about a book and it will sell a lot of copies for you. Right. Amazing story. And it makes me really sad that I picked the name, not Toby and <laughs> didn't go with Bigalus Dickless. That is an incredible name. Um, my winner of the weekend, Neil, I'm very excited about this one. It was a big racket weekend. And what I mean by that, my winner of the weekend is this sport called paddle. Mm -hmm. That's right. I am talking about a different sport than pickleball. If you haven't heard of pickleball yet, you either haven't seen a park in a year or you're not on a texting basis with my mom because this sport has been booming. This sport has been booming in the U.S. It's all Dory Hagee talks about. Pickleball had 8.9 million players in 2022, which is basically double from 2021. However, we know the U.S. always has its own thing, right? We have Fahrenheit. Everyone else has Celsius. We have yards. Everyone else has meter. We work 20 hours a day. Everyone else takes all of August off. This sport is no exception. We have pickleball. Everyone else in the world is playing paddle. This, and, and it's arriving in the U.S. now. It is a fast-paced hybrid of tennis and squash contested on a glass-walled court. It has 20 million players worldwide. And there's over, this stat blew my mind, there's over 6 million active paddle players in Spain. Hmm. There's more than 20,000 courts in the country, making it the second most popular sport behind soccer. And projections say there could be as many as 40,000 courts in the U.S. in about 10 years. But what really helped paddle secure the W is this weekend, Puerto Rican rapper Daddy Yankee 
bought the league's eighth franchise in Orlando. So if you want to impress your hipster friends, it's not pickleball anymore. It's all about paddle. Paddle looks super fun. We were watching uh, some clips that are Electric. going on behind us now. I bet you no one who's watching on YouTube just paid attention <laughs> to what you were saying because it is a mesmerizing sport. It's way more fun to watch than pickleball. Um, so I'm pretty bullish on all racket sports because you can play them for the rest of your life. Right. Um, so we'll see. Now, you know, pickleball versus tennis people were fighting in the U.S. Now it's going to be paddle and pickleball. I'm hoping there can be a truce. All right, let's get on to a quick preview of what to expect from the week ahead. Uh, I think I've said this for the past five week ahead uh, segments, but there's going to be debt ceiling negotiations. Uh, the risk of a default is looming next month, and Biden and uh, GOP leaders need to figure out a solution to raise the debt ceiling or we will default. And I'm running out of ways to say the stock market will collapse, but so right. I'll say the stock market will collapse. Uh, we also have retail earnings, which is always fun. Walmart, Target, Home Depot. They always give it, give some insights into what people are buying and how trends are changing during the pandemic. They were like, yeah, we couldn't sell. You know, we sold all of the home goods stuff and then people shifted to more experiences. So we'll see what's going on in 2023. Yes, Target is a Minnesota-based company, so it's always good to invest in them. <laughs> Shout out to, to Target. Um, in the sports world, we have NHL and NBA playoffs. Preakness on Saturday. Obviously, horse racing is uh, uh, in a bit of a controversy right now. And the PGA Championship beginning on Thursday. The fun, the best part about this NBA thing, it's the same exact teams that were in the bubble in Orlando in 2020. The same matchups. That's right. And if the NBA gets Lakers versus Celtics, that is going to be a huge That's what you have narrative. to go for. Yeah. I think Denver's too good, though. Yeah. they're. Uh, we also have the Cannes Film Festival, which is taking place in southern France. Lots of rosé being consumed. Soon, but there's also new movies from Wes Anderson and Martin Scorsese. My question for you is, if you could go to a film festival, what would it be? Mm. Would it be like the Venice, the Sundance, the Telluride? I'm going to give you a, maybe a, a not popular answer. Toronto International Film Festival. That is not a popular answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's the paddle of, that, I think it's it's the the paddle of international film festivals. I think it's the wrong answer. <laughs> What's your answer? Is it Neil? good? Have you been there? No, I just like Toronto. Oh, well, you can go there for not the film festival. Yeah, I feel like it's got some good movies, too. I think Cannes sounds kind of a lot. I've just never been to South of France. I, I'm too worried about pronouncing that word where I'd be uncomfortable the whole time. It's not that hard. Just C-A-N. Can't. Can. Yeah. All right. And then uh, speaking of movies, Fast X is coming out on Friday. I don't know if you're a big Fast and Furious guy. That's the 11th uh, installment in the franchise. And did you know that when v Vin Diesel, some Reddit guy did this analysis, Vin Diesel, when he wears four sleeveless shirts and spends 14 to 15% of the movie's running time in them, then that Fast and Franchise movie makes more money at the box office and is more critically acclaimed. Wow. Okay. So we need him in, in sleeveless shirts. Sleeveless shirts. As long as possible. <laughs> That's always a good move. I love how they're like, this is probably going to be the last one. And then they were going to make it to, into two movies. And now it, it's trilogy, going to be a trilogy. Right. This series will never, <laughs> never die. die. Long live Fast and the Furious. All right, Kyle. Uh, that is our time. Uh, it's been so fun having you on the show. I think Toby's coming back tomorrow. Yeah. And we're going to have to say goodbye to not Toby. I know. RIP to not Toby. But you are welcome for having time. me. It was a blast. Yeah. Thanks so much, Kyle. Uh, you can always email us uh, with any questions, comments, book recommendations at morningbrewdaily at morningbrew.com. Big thanks to everyone who made this show possible. Uh, the producer and editor is Emily Milliron. Our technical director is Yuchenna Waogu. Samantha Velas and Raymond Liu are the associate producers. Billy Menino is on audio. Hair and makeup is leaving the show in solidarity with Kyle. <laughs> Devin Emery is our chief content officer, and our show is a production of Morning Brew. Have a great week, everyone.